0: Can run on for a long time,
1: run on for a long time, run on for a long time.
0: Sooner or later, gotta cut you down. Sooner or later, gotta cut you down. Well, good morning, church. (laughs) Hope I'm not the only cash fan in here. Welcome to the Christian Church of Vestas Park. My name is Pastor Jesse, and we're in Cousin John, today going through the life of John the Baptist. Uh, And I just want to welcome you. And uh, uh, so today we're going to get into the Word. And last week we were introduced to John, but today we're going to get a little bit deeper into his life and, more importantly, his message. But before we do any of that, we do have to go over our anchor verse, uh, what I believe is really the crux uh, and the crucible of John's life, is this, John 3.30, he must become greater and I must become less. That, that encapsulates the entire life of John the Baptist. And my prayer is that by the end of this series, that would be our heart and our message as well. So before we get into the text today, which is the gospel of Matthew chapter three, uh, let's pray and let's ask for God's blessing on our time in his word. Father, we thank you and we praise you because you are indeed a great and an awesome God. Lord, we ask that you would come and invade this place and invade our hearts, that you would go into the places that uh, we feel like we don't want to give you entrance. Lord, to the places in our lives that we want to keep secret, the places in our hearts that we want to keep quiet from you. Uh, But Lord, we know that you see all already. So, Lord, I pray that this morning you would use your word, the sword of the spirit, to bring about a heart of repentance in our church and in our own lives. Lord, that none of us would be so prideful as to think that we are beyond sin or that uh, the sin in our lives is uh, not that important and it's not that serious. Lord, help us to see what it does to your heart. Lord, that we would turn from it and that we would turn, more importantly, towards you. Uh, Lord, that we would run into the light and out of darkness and shame. So, Lord, I pray that you would use the life of your servant, John, Lord, to open up the doors of our hearts, not only to receive your word, but, Lord, to change and to transform. And so, Lord, we ask that you would just be among us as we spend time reading, studying, and, Lord, as I spend time heralding the good news of your word. And, Lord, I pray that uh, not only would... uh, You be with us, but Lord, that you would protect us, Lord, from opinions, Lord, that you would protect us even from our own thoughts that think they may be superior to what your word says. Lord, let us submit and bow down to the authority of the scriptures this morning. Lord, that your son Jesus would be exalted in this place. These things we pray in his beautiful, beautiful name. Amen. Our text today is Matthew chapter 3, verses 1 through 12. Uh, if you, you're going to need your Bible for this, right, because I, I don't want you to just take my word for it, I want you to see it for yourself. Uh, and if you don't have your Bible, we do also have Bibles in the back, and if you don't want to get up and get a Bible, we also have it on the screen. Matthew chapter 3 says this, in those days John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea, repent. For the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah when he said, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord and make his paths straight. Now John wore a garment of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locusts and wild honey. Then Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region about the Jordan were going out to him, and they were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath that is to come? whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn. But the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. Church, this is God's word. So what we see in this passage uh, at least the first half of it is a lot of what we saw last week in, in our introduction to the life of John the Baptist and he is he is that voice right he is the voice crying in the wilderness to make straight the paths of Yahweh of Our God, not just a God, not just an Elohim, not just a master, but capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, Lord, Yahweh, the name of the God of Scripture, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But one thing we see in this passage that we don't see uh, in the passage in Mark that we were looking at last week is exactly what his message was. What was it that was causing this national revival? Last week in the gospel of Mark, we saw that he was preaching a message of repentance, of baptism, of confession of sin. And now in Matthew, we actually see his actual words and what he's doing here, which is pretty incredible because again, John had a horrible church location. He was in the middle of the desert and he preached a really difficult message, which was this, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. That's a tough message, but if you look at the text and what he's doing, he is inciting a national revival with his message. Uh, the people of Judea and all Jerusalem and all the people about the Jordan were going to John to what? Confess their sins and repent. Now, repentance, we talk about it a lot in church, but I think it kind of has a bad rap because you, always, you only really see the word repent, number one, in church, and number two, on street corners with really, really angry Christians. Right, you see it with the folks from from Westboro Baptist Church who are who are are saying that it, if you' you have these different sins in your life, you better turn or burn, you're, God's going to strike you down. Right? And so repentance really, it kind of has like a bad rap, but it's actually a really, really beautiful word. It is It is a word of, of hope. It's a word of life. And, and here's what I would say about repentance is that it's not a moment, it's a process. Everybody thinks about repentance as this decision, or maybe you think of repentance as an apology for sin, but it's much deeper than that. And here, here's how I would describe repentance and the process thereof. Repentance is something that begins in your heart. That's the starting point. Repentance begins in your heart because it is really a spiritual awakening to sin and its effects. When you realize that it is your sin that nailed Jesus to the cross. That it is your sin that separates you from the goodness of God. That it is your sin that breaks the very heart of God. Now many people might understand that. And they might know it in their mind, but they haven't felt it in their hearts. They haven't felt the weight of their sin. So repentance really begins by feeling the weight of your sin deep within the binds of your own heart and your own soul but repentance true repentance cannot just stay in the heart it it can't just kind of lounge there and set up a couch and eat some potato chips in your heart it has to go somewhere it has to move from the heart and where it moves to is your mind repentance in your heart ascends the mind it has to and the mind is the place of the will of your decision making and so repentance begins as a feeling of i break the heart of god i am separated from god because of my sin and it must ascend to the mind where you make a decision within yourself that i'm not gonna live this way anymore It's a decision to say, this is not just a way I'm going to feel, but I'm going to do something about it, and I'm going to make active steps to no longer live in my sin that breaks the heart of God. That is the reason that the wrath of God is upon me. It's a decision to make active steps to turn from sin. And lastly, repentance in the mind, true repentance in the mind works itself outwards to your hands, how you live, what you actually do. It cannot just stay a nice decision. Man, how many people make nice decisions to on January 1st, start going to the gym? And a month later, they're 10 pounds heavier than they were at the start of the year, right? Like we all make lots of nice decisions, but true repentance does not just stay in the heart and it doesn't just stay in the head, but it works its way out to the hands and affects the way that you live and you move and you breathe. So the process of repentance then goes heart, head, and hands. It's a change of desire that leads to a change in decision that ultimately will change what you do. And so this is the beginning of John's message is is repent, but then we have to ask the question why? Why do I have to repent? Why was he preaching this to Israel who had walked away from God and had not heard his voice for 400 years? He says, because the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Or in other words, God's kingdom is near. And so we ask the question, well, what is a kingdom? Now, when I think of a kingdom, and maybe you're in the same boat as me, I think of like Lord of the Rings, right? You got a big city with fortified walls. You have a king. There's a big castle in the center with a citadel that reaches to the skies. There are citizens who live within these boundaries of, of water and border. Uh, but the kingdom of heaven is not a physical kingdom, but it is rather a spiritual kingdom. It's not bound by water and borders and walls, uh, but rather the kingdom of heaven is this. The kingdom of heaven is wherever God reigns and rules as sovereign king. That's what the kingdom of heaven is. And so it doesn't have borders like you can't mark out the territory of the kingdom of God because the kingdom of God doesn't really have any sovereign soil on this earth except for in the hearts of men and women. That is where God's kingdom reigns. It's wherever God reigns as king. And when we look out into the world, we see a lot of God not reigning in the lives of people. We see it in, in the hatred of in our world, in the violence and the war in our world, in the lack of compassion in our world, we see that the kingdom of God is really a, a personal kingdom that comes and invades lives, not territories and countries and boundaries. And so if you're a Christian today and the reign of God is upon your life, then, then you are a carrier of the kingdom of heaven where God reigns and rules where Jesus is king. And so then we have to ask, okay, if we know what a kingdom is and, and we understand what kingdoms are and we understand that the heavenly kingdom is not one where we can mark it off with, with boundaries and it has this certain territory, but rather it takes up residence within us, we have to ask, well, what does the king do then? In, in any given kingdom where they have sovereign reign and rule, what does a king do? Well, a king does many things, but among them they set the law the culture, and the values of the kingdom. They, they decide how their citizens are going to live. That's what a king does. They set the laws, the culture, and the values of the kingdom. And if a new king comes, and he invades a space, and he claims a territory as his own, but he finds that there are people within that place that are unwilling to to assimilate to the way of the new king, the way of the new kingdom, then there is no place in that kingdom for that person because then they would be living a treasonous life. And so what we find here in John's message and the reason he's inciting this national revival is because the people of Israel knew they had lived in treason to God. They knew That they had lived in a way that was unworthy of their coming king and his kingdom. And so what did they do? They flocked to John so that they could be made fit for their king. They knew that the Lord, that Yahweh was coming, that the voice was crying in the wilderness and the kingdom of heaven was near, that God's reign and rule was upon them. And any person who was living a treasonous life felt deep within the confines of their soul, of their heart that this is not the way of the kingdom. This is not what God has asked of us. I I know that I have been living a duplicitous life where I worship God with my mouth and with my offerings, but with my life, I live a treasonous life. And the people flocked to John for baptism because they understood something. They understood that repentance makes you fit for the king. That's point number one. Repentance makes you fit for the kingdom and for the kingdom. So Christian repentance, when we talk about repentance in church, what we're really talking about is assimilation to the kingdom of God. And so here's the way that I would put a definition to it. To repent is to purposefully live on earth as you will in heaven. To repent is to purposefully live on earth as you will in heaven in heaven see heaven is where everything is made right yes it's where everything is perfect that there is no more sin neither in you or in your neighbors or in the the broken creation anymore because it's been all made new it's been recreated in perfection and so to be a citizen of the kingdom of heaven and to repent and assimilate to the kingdom of heaven is to live now as you will then to live now in this broken earth, to choose the way of the kingdom of heaven now instead of just waiting until you get to the doorstep of eternity, to, to choose heaven's way now. And I think what they understood was that this baptism that John was going to give them, just like John says, I just baptize you with water. I give you a bath and I send you on your way. The baptism didn't make them fit for the king. Their repentance did. It wasn't their actions or their accolades that they could bring to the table. It was the repentance in their hearts. They're saying, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. I want to assimilate to it. I want to live on earth now as I will in heaven. Their hearts were turning back towards God. Their minds had changed from loving their sin to choosing to abandon it. And their baptism was their first step. Right? We talk about next steps. It was their first step. Of walking in repentance but not everybody got the message some people were confused by john's baptism because these religious elites the pharisees and the sadducees they show up to receive john's baptism and john takes issue with that matter of fact he's kind of rude towards them like he's kind of mean He he calls them, you brood of vipers, and in the Greek, it can actually be translated as as children of snakes, or or you are the offspring of a serpent, which is not, not too far away from what Jesus says to the Pharisees and Sadducees later in the Gospel of John when he says, you are of your father, the devil. And John kind of mirrors that here in Matthew chapter three when he calls them a brood of vipers, you children of serpents, who warned you to flee? I kind of like that. Like I kind of like how blunt John is like, who told you who invited you? Like who, who invited you to this baptism? Like, and it's because John understood something about the Pharisees and the Sadducees that we need to understand is that they weren't coming to repent, they were coming to escape. They were coming to be safe from the wrath of God. And and here is their problem that has lasted through generation and generation for millennia is that people want the benefits of the kingdom of heaven without the king of heaven. We want the benefits of the kingdom as long as the king doesn't come with it. As long as the throne stays vacant and we can sit upon the throne and we can continue to live the way that we want to live as long as I can be king. As long as I can be the sovereign. Well, I want to be safe because you talk to any rational person about heaven and hell and any sane person would choose heaven. Right. Nobody with a working prefrontal cortex is going to choose hell. And I know there's jokesters who are like, oh, I'd rather party with sinners in hell than 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 cry with the saints in heaven. I think that's like a Billy Joel line. Uh, but if you understand what hell is, that it's eternal separation from God and all of his goodness, it's receiving the full wrath and punishment of God upon sin. Nobody actually wants that. Man, I know the most godless heathens that, that talk about heaven like they're going there. They they have no interest in repentance. They have no interest in living the way that God calls us to live. They have no interest in the kingdom of heaven until they actually get there. See, people don't want to repent. Here's what we do want. We want safety. We want safety. We want safety from wrath. We want safety from judgment. The Pharisees didn't want to repent. They just wanted to be safe. From the wrath of God, and they thought John's baptism would do it for them. See, here's the problem we see in the world today is that people want salvation without submission. People want to be saved from the wrath of God without having to submit to the will of God. And there are people who call themselves Christians, which means Christ followers, Jesus is King that have never repented of their sin. And here's the, the, the difference that I see in these people. Uh, they've apologized, but they haven't repented. And those are two wildly different concepts. Because an apology Christian is the Christian that went to their teenage camp. And they heard a gospel message. And they went to the front and they said, sorry God. And then they went back home. And nothing changed. See, lots of people make apologies to God, but very few people repent and turn to the way of the kingdom. This is what Jesus says when he says, broad, wide is the way that leads to death. But the way that leads to life is narrow. And few are those who find it. It's not because we think we're perfect people. It's because a lot of people are more interested in saying sorry and continuing than repenting and turning. Like these these there's so many, there's swaths of people in the church. They get baptized, but they never repent. They go to church and maybe they even sit next to you and they never repent. They give charitably when we pass around the offering trays, but they never repent. They sing songs of praise, but they never repent. Maybe they even serve in the church, but they have never repented of sin. And, and here's a, a message for the rest of us, because you know, church, church is for the believer, and I want to build you up and remind you of things and encourage you and point you towards the word too. This isn't just information for the non believer. This is information for the believer. Because right in the middle of these verses, he says, bear fruit in keeping with repentance. And so repentance is not just for uh, sinners who are not saved, but for saints who continue to sin in these sinful bodies. The reality check for us today, church, is that repentance is not just for the non Christian. Do not think that you are beyond repentance. You're not. because it's not just a one-time event. Every Christian in this room, sitting to your sides and in front and behind you, every Christian, including you and all the people around you, are called to a daily lifestyle of repentance by which you commit to killing your sin and committing yourself to the way of the kingdom, to live differently on earth and to live right now as you will forever in perfect heaven. And, and I would say that there are people, there, there just has to be statistically, there are people even in this church who are truly saved. They haven't apologized, they have repented, they have been washed by the blood of the lamb, but they've just backslid and they've, they've taken their foot off the gas when it comes to kingdom living and repenting of sin. And, and so let me encourage you and really remind you this morning that the day of your salvation was the day that your repentance began. It wasn't just the day of your repentance. It was the day your repentance began like a seed being sown in the ground so that a tree could be produced and bear good fruit. The day of your salvation was the day that your repentance began and you are called today. Let me call upon you today to bear fruit in keeping with that repentance. But ultimately, why does it matter whether or not we repent? Right? Because we preach it here. And this is the true gospel, that it is by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. That is how one is given, how one receives salvation from sin. Why should we care? Well, it's because John had a very sobering message for those who did not repent and bear fruit. That there are a lot of people, as, as Jesus explains in his parables, there's a lot of people who the seeds are going to go out, and they're going to go into the soil, and people are going to be real excited, and then the worries of the world are going to choke them out. And they're not going to bear fruit. And there's going to be other seeds tossed among rocky soil, and it's not going to be able to get a root, and the sun is going to scorch it, or the ravens are going to come and swoop up and, and eat the, the seed that was planted rightly by the lord and so what we see is that there are lots of seeds that get planted but all this crop that doesn't bear fruit this is what gets thrown into unquenchable fire and so to hear this today that if there is no repentance and bearing fruit there is likely no salvation and so this is why it's important because john's message is if you are not bearing the fruits of repentance the wrath of god remains upon you Right, if you're just a stick laying on the ground, you're going to get tossed into the fire. And this is the way that he puts it. He says, The axe is laid even now, even now, to the root of the trees, which means the doorway of death is, is close for all of us. Our lives are, are but a vapor, a mist. They're short. So even now, the axe is laid to the root of the trees or as the poet johnny cash would say you can run on for a long time but sooner or later god will cut you down this is a a scary message and so you may be sitting out here and and you might be thinking well how dare you how how dare you preach a message of fear in church how dare this young pastor preach such a scary message? That is, are you trying to scare us into heaven, Jesse? How, how dare you use the pulpit for such a purpose? Why am I preaching that we should fear God's wrath? Now, you, you may be one of those folks that wants to hang up on the verses like in 1 John where it says, perfect love casts out fear. Fear has no place in the life of the, a Christian. I call bogus. Fear absolutely plays a part in the life of a Christian because look at all the other verses in Scripture that talk about fear. Proverbs 1.7, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Ecclesiastes 12.13, fear God and keep his commandments for this is the whole duty of man. Psalm 33.8, let all the earth fear the Lord and let the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. Luke one fifty, his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. Proverbs 14.27, the fear of the Lord is a fountain of life that one may turn from the snares of death or maybe repent. And then from the lips of our Lord Jesus himself, do not fear those who can kill the body but cannot kill the soul, but rather fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. And so what we find here throughout the whole council of scripture is that fear is not actually a bad thing. Rational fear, I would argue, is a gift from God because there are things in this world that we should be rationally afraid of. What is fear? It's just an emotion that tells you that danger lies ahead. Right? So it's like, should we live in such a fear that we wear five masks when we go to the grocery store? Probably not. Should we be afraid of clowns? Probably not, mostly. (laughs) But there are things that we should be afraid of. Like if a bear is in your living room. Or if the kitchen is on fire. Or if you're in the middle of the ocean and your boat begins to sink as sharks begin to circle. There's reason in this world to fear, but more than any of those rational fears that we should have, we ought to fear an all-powerful God who has a, I want to use the word, vicious wrath towards evil and sin. And so what John is trying to do in the Pharisees and, and what John is trying to do in us today is to provoke this sense of holy Fear that God is holy in his presence. There is no toleration for sin and his wrath is vicious. It is severe towards sin. John is trying to provoke us to holy fear. Why? Because judgment is real. Look at me, church. Because judgment is real. Because his wrath is severe. And because eternity is a long time. Eternity is a long time to spend separated from the goodness and the grace of God for sin that Jesus has already freely paid for. Eternity is a long time to spend paying a punishment that you don't have to. But even as harsh as his confrontation has been with these religious people, there is such a beautiful glimmer of gospel hope in his words. And it's for us too. I want you to look with me in verse 12. He says this, his winnowing fork is in his hand and he will clear his threshing floor. That is the world. And he will gather his wheat into the barn. Safe, secure, belonging to him. Church, I I just want you to see with me for a moment that as scary as the wrath of God is, His salvation is inherently beautiful. That God's judgment is as severe as his salvation is gracious. That's point number three. God's judgment is as severe as his salvation is gracious. Because the reality is that we all start in the same place, don't we? With the wrath of God upon us because of our sin, we all start out as the chaff in this story that gets thrown into unquenchable fire, into punishment for sin, separation from God forever. We all start in the same boat. But the difference now between the wheat and the chaff, the wheat that belongs to God and is gathered in his arms and placed safely in the barn, is that the wheat bore fruits of repentance, and the chaff did not. And and as we begin to close up on this chapter here, you may say, well, it's, I just don't think it's fair that God would put anyone into unquenchable fire and judgment, into this punishment for sin. But, but here's what I would leave you with, is that if you don't want to walk in repentance now, if you don't want to live the kingdom way now, if you don't want to live on earth as it is in heaven now, if you don't want to submit to God's reign and rule now, he won't force you to. And in fact, he is so gracious and kind and loving towards us that if we don't want his reign and rule now, he's not going to force it upon us forever. Because that's ultimately what heaven is. It is the ultimate, supreme, sovereign reign and rule of God. And so if you don't want that now, temporarily, your life is but a vapor. If you don't, if you don't want God's reign and rule for the vapor, He's not going to force it upon people for eternity. He is just that kind. And so church, let me leave you with this, that we must repent. And as Christians, we must live in repentance. We must live the way of the kingdom now. And it's an upside down kingdom where we are called to what? Pray for those who persecute us. Love our enemies. Instead of being greedy and selfish, we are called to be uniquely and radically charitable and hospitable to the stranger. And instead of chasing the lusts of our flesh and our heart, we are called to love our spouses and in fact lay our lives down for them. That is the way of the kingdom. And we need to repent and and turn towards the way of the kingdom now to live today on earth as we will in heaven forever. Church, God's future kingdom belongs to those who submit to it now. The Pharisees thought a baptism could, from John, just taking a bath, could bring them into the kingdom of heaven and make them fit for the king. And in fact, John says, and and don't presume to say among yourselves that Abraham is our father. So your actions do not make you fit for the king and the kingdom. Your accolades and what you bring to the table don't make you fit for the king and the kingdom. Repentance does. God's future kingdom belongs to those who submit to it now. Let's pray. Father, I thank you and I praise you, Lord, for the gift of repentance, this beautiful word, this change of heart that leads to a change in our heads, that leads to a change in our hands, and and Lord, I pray that for your church, that we would strive, that we would bear the fruit of repentance, that we would live in such a way that we are after the kingdom of heaven, that we would be after your reign and your rule in our lives, that we would submit to your law and your values and the culture of the kingdom, Lord, that we would want to live on this broken earth as we will one day forever in heaven. Because Lord, to those who repent and trust in your son, Jesus, belongs the kingdom of heaven. So Lord, let us strive after that. And Lord, for our unsaved friends and our families. And Lord, if there is anybody in here that does not know you, that has not trusted in Christ for salvation, and maybe they've apologized but they haven't repented. Lord, I pray that you would bring those people to their knees in submission and fearful repentance, Lord, knowing that you are the only one that can save them from your wrath towards sin. Lord, as hard as a message as it is, Lord, we just lean right now on the beauty of the gospel. Lord, that this gospel that calls us to repentance is what can remove our sin as far as the east is from the west. And so Lord, I pray that there would be people today who trust in you for the first time and repent of their sin and choose the way of the kingdom. Lord, we love you and we praise you and it's in Jesus' beautiful name that we pray, amen.
1: memorize, whoa, I'm alive. If you want to memorize uh, John 3.30, and that reminder that uh, in the Christian life, it's about Jesus. He may increase and we must decrease. And that's a great first step, be able to remind us how to to be able to walk in repentance. And as you do that, maybe the second thing that that you need to take this step this morning is actually repent of sin. And he said, not just to have this, this moment of confession of, of, of desire, but actually turning to God, and this, and to make it more than just an act of the heart or the head, but also to make it into our lives. So maybe that's your commitment this morning. And if that hit you, and you need some help with that, I want you to come talk with me, or uh, Pastor Jesse. We're going to pray with you and walk along beside you, uh, because that's why God gives us the church. We get to uh, to walk this road together. And maybe the next thing that you, you need want to do is to to confess your sin. There's an amazing passage that tells us that if, uh, First John, if we confess our sins to God, that he's faithful and he's just and will forgive us our sin and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. As in, when we bring our sins to God, that he does this work in us and repentance is not just an act of us alone, but the Holy Spirit comes along beside us and helps us. So instead of hiding our sin from God, bring it to the light. Bring it to him because he will heal you. He's faithful and just and always will. So maybe that's your step. And the last one that we have here is to make a commitment to bear repentant fruit. It's it's that commitment to say from this day, I'm, I'm not going to be one that just keeps my faith in my head. I'm not going to just have a feelings-based faith, but I'm going to start. You're not going to be perfect, but I'm going to start to be able to, to follow after God, living now like I will you need to make that commitment I encourage you to do that there is freedom and life and hope and it is a great way the kingdom lifestyle is a wonderful thing now maybe you have a different commitment that you need to make the Holy Spirit speak it to you now you write that down give a prayer request uh, put that down onto thing in just a moment we're going to take our offering and I invite you as we take our offering, take this connection card, drop it in the offering basket as it's passed along with your tithes and your gifts. And of course, and after this, if you need to talk with any of the pastors for prayer or encouragement, support, come chat with us. Uh, we are here to support you as we live this new life uh, together. It's a great life. So let us pray as we make our commitments and our, and our offerings. Father God, thank you for your goodness. We're so grateful that you are holy and you've called us to a holy way of living that is not like the rest. We'd see the death and the destruction of this world. Why would we want to live it any longer? That we have the invitation to live the kingdom lifestyle now, that we can actually bear fruit of righteousness even now. Father, I pray that you would bless this church as we make commitments to to not just confess sin and to repent, but to bear good fruit that would not only uh, uh, bring you glory, but, Father, would be salt and light in this world, a place of hope. Father, take these commitments, draw our hearts to you through them. Father, we ask that you would be glorified through, through our actions, through our beliefs, Father, but also through the way that you work through our lives. Take our tithes and offerings to build your kingdom in us and through us and for your glory. We pray this in the wonderful name of Jesus who saves us.